welcome to the Intelligent Growth Podcast, the ultimate guide for go-to market leaders who aspire to engage and influence their target relationships to market more impactfully, sell more profitably, and create customer evangelists. We're going to help you strategically navigate the customer lifecycle journey from awareness through purchase and all the way to material value creation for your clients. Your hosts have worked with hyper-growth, mid-market, and global enterprises and understand the unique challenges and opportunities CMOs, CROs, and CCOs face when they embark on marketing sales and customer success motions. Get ready to unlock the potential of your unique go-to market strategy, transform your perspective into powerful campaigns, and position yourself as the world-class revenue growth benchmark. This is the Intelligent Growth Podcast with your hosts, Jen Cords and David Knorr. Hi, everybody. David Knorr back with another episode of our now Avnir Intelligent Growth uh, with uh, my partner and our CTO, Jen Cords. Hello, Jen. Hi, Noor. How are you? Great. Thanks. Uh, excited to move forward with this next chapter for our audience. Uh, if you uh, haven't followed our journey uh, for, I don't know, I, I lose count, last 30, 35, 40 episodes, it's been the NOR Group uh, Intelligent Growth. And we recently decided to dramatically upgrade not just our brand, but our vision and focus into more of a, of a tech-led, uh, specifically a generative AI platform to activate dark relationship value. If you want to know what that means, go to avnir.com, avnir, A-V-N-I-R.com, and sign up as a power user or a design partner of this platform we're building, and you get early access and coaching and all kinds of good stuff. But it also means that a lot of the value that we've been bringing to our clients, from speaking engagements to growth advisory work, digital advisory work, our strategy visualization work, leadership development programs, our events, all of those we've brought over to Avnir. And we're excited to combine the products with a suite of services and the events. And part of the resources is this intelligent, weekly intelligent growth uh, podcast, live stream, where Jen and I typically talk about a topic that we see from a very broad spectrum of a client work that we do, but also periodically invite guests, others that we believe can contribute to the conversation in terms of this intelligent growth that we look for, we hope for, we coach, we advise clients to think about and really embrace as they as they evolve their organizations. So that's a little about what you would to expect. This episode is really focused on something that we continue to see, which is the skills gap. Uh, and in particular, what do we need to all of us unlearn and in essence, relearn to remain relevant? And Jen and I are going to talk about this idea. And, um, and, and Jen, let me just pause there and get your take on skills gap that you see, skills gap that you've observed in your journey? Sure. So I think a lot of leaders and people who are maybe in the middle stage of their career are so focused on getting their job done that they don't necessarily plan a roadmap for themselves or a career journey for themselves and actually take an accounting of areas that they need to 
grow and skills that they need to acquire to either get to that next level or even just stay more proficient at their current level. So I think it's something everybody needs to look at and really evaluate for themselves on where they're going and how they're going to get there and then set a roadmap for themselves to, to actually achieve that. Yeah, and and you you brought up a great point in in the last book, uh, uh, not relation of economics, but curve benders. I talk about this idea of your personal market value, and and I have a, a image that that I'm gonna uh, share in a second. That and in it, I talk about this idea of knowing what you're worth, knowing what, uh, you, you know, in essence, taking an inventory of the skills, the knowledge, the uh, behaviors, the experiences, the relationships that you bring to every role, every window, you know, every opportunity, every chance to add value in essence. And if you can, if our audience can see that, you know, again, uh, without going into a, a ton of detail, the foundational rings are at the base of it. Uh, and as you can see, it's, it's your professional kind of presence and, and in many ways that, uh, acumen, the, the the emotional courage that that Peter Bregman, uh, longtime friend and Marshall Goldsmith, Thinkers Fifty colleague, talks about uh, the the personal lifelong education and and consumption. That's a big part of what we're going to talk about today, and the core kind of stable, loving, supportive personal ecosystem that becomes a foundational ring. You build on that with what I call your value accelerants. You build on that with these growth enablers. And each of these really talk about how are you taking inventory of those skills, of that knowledge, of the behaviors that, again, you bring to every job, you bring to every opportunity. And it's really important to think about your journey from now to next as evolutionary, as one that continues. It has to continue to evolve for you to remain relevant. So in this episode, we want to talk about uh, really three core ideas. One, uh, there's a number of, eight to be exact, of foundational skills. I believe every professional, regardless of Jen brought it up, different phases or seasons of your career, in every season of your career, these are foundational that every professional really needs to embrace, really needs to fine tune, hone, elevate, amplify on a consistent basis. This is this is as foundational as it gets. Then we're going to talk about a series of skills that, I mean, since we're talking about a skills gap, that Jen and I really believe we all need to unlearn and relearn because of the dynamic environment we're all facing. And then last but not least, really thinking about your own journey, taking that inventory of where you are against these things and, and how do you keep learning, keep growing. And the other thing, Jen, you and I hear all the time is people talk about this growth mindset. I, I want to see it like the old ad, where's the beef, right? Don't just tell me you've got a growth mindset. Show me, show me that you're naturally curious. Show me that you're looking to raise the bar on, I'm coaching several executives on their statesmanship or, or, or really that ambassadorship of the brand, of the company, of the value. And again, that is a lifelong journey that I think a lot of people need to embrace. And I, I would definitely agree with you. And I would also say that a growth mindset isn't necessarily something that you can teach someone. It's sort of innate to who they are. 
And I mean, they can learn new skills. You can teach them how to do something differently, but that curiosity and asking questions and, and just wanting to know more is kind of inherent to they are to who they are. And like as children and those of us who are parents, it's when your kids ask why, well, why? Why? And you think that they're a broken record, but they're really just trying to understand and they're trying to sort of grow their purview of the world. And so like that's something that as we age, I think some people lose, but others retain that. And that's that's that really is that growth mindset that they really need to have to remain relevant. I want to build on that as you you know, and for our audience, we're 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 adding to our team and we're interviewing particularly BDRs, business development reps that are in the early stages of their careers. And I get a sense into their DNA in the questions they ask. So Jen, you've seen me do this. So I tell them about us or I ask a bunch of questions and I say I've asked the questions I, I want to ask. What questions can I answer for you? And the level of their preparedness shows up. The level of the engagement shows up. The level of curiosity shows up. And not just the questions themselves. I, I, I kid you not. I literally had a candidate recently tell me, well, I have no questions. <laughs> really? You, you, you're about to, you're interviewing for a job and you have no questions of me? Was I really that thorough that I told you everything you need to know about what you're, you're walking into? And 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 it's not just uh, well, tell me about the job. Well, you could have you could have done that homework and you could have read the job description or jobs to be done or number of things we've created. But but the quality of the questions also tells me a lot about the person, and we'll we'll talk about more about that. Yes, and so moving on, you often coach others on these foundational skills and you alluded to it is kind of in the intro what are the eight foundational skills that regardless of a season a person's career is in that they actually need to double down on and be really effective at the the audience is going to appreciate that in the words of the famed philosopher britney spears uh, <laughs> none of these eight are uh, uh you know rocket surgery uh she actually said that once but but there it's it's also a great reminder of the Grand Canyon size difference between intellectually understanding that these foundational skills are critical and the intentionality, the proactiveness in really doubling down on them. So so let me run through the eight. And then what I really want the audience, whether you're watching us or you're listening, to really think about, really take account of your own skills in each of these areas and ask yourself and and i like a very simple grading system a b c or f a i'm rocking it b i got some work to do c i'm in trouble f i, I i've got to wake up and do something about this today so a b c or f and then you maybe if you're listening or you go back and watch this pause this and really ask yourself what's the one thing i can do not next month, next year, not at some, you know, some, there's seven days in a week and someday isn't one of them, right? Not some hypothetical day in the future, but what can I do about it this week? How can I commit to really raising the bar on this skill sooner than later? Because these are absolutely foundational. So here we go. Eight foundational skills to master as a professional at every level. Number one, unequivocally, writing proficiency. Increasingly, 
most of our communication is not just verbal. And I'll talk about your ability to be able to articulate a point, but your ability to write, write succinctly, write clearly, write intelligently, write with emotional kind of connection, write to engage and influence. And and I and I keep getting emails from people that are irrelevant, or I get emails that just, you know, you wonder if this person has some sort of a mental disorder because we just go on tangents and like uh, you lose me at hello. So, so writing proficiency is something that I think we could all benefit from. And again, a quick tip, we, we use Grammarly. And if you don't know about Grammarly or you don't use it, it's a lifesaver in emails and documents in posts, but we all need to elevate our ability. And don't tell me the AI engine is going to write it for you. Yeah, probably at some point, but your ability to write proficiently becomes invaluable. That's number one. Number two, public speaking. Your ability to present. I, I, I don't care what you do. Your ability to present an idea in a cohesive, intelligent manner to three people or 3,000 people will differentiate you from everybody else who has chosen not to really develop the skill. There are very few people that are born with this. And sure, there are some that just have that gift of gab and they stand on any stage and they're comfortable from the time the microphone is on. And then, <laughs> and then there's the rest of us. And people, I, again, I, I'm, I'm blessed. I, I speak 50, 60 times a year. And people ask me, do you still get nervous? I, I, I reply, you should worry when you don't get nervous. So A, that's a part of it. But I've also have worked with six different speaking coaches, and I've been at this for 20-plus years. So it does not come naturally to most of us. The, the stage fright is real. The lights come on. The microphone is on. It's like, ah. Uh, but your ability, and by the way, the higher you go in your role, the more critical this skill becomes. Your ability to speak intelligently, cohesively, in an engaging manner, publicly, becomes an absolute differentiator. So number one, writing proficiency. Two, public speaking. Three, this is a lot in, in, in Jen's world, data analysis. Data is the renewable energy, your ability to understand it, analyze it, make sense of it, tell stories about it, articulate it, not just regurgitate it, but defend it, becomes critical and it sets you apart. Jen, talk about data analysis and some leaders you've met who are not just leaders, but people who are really good at this and others who you sit in a meeting with, no names need to be mentioned, but it's like cringeworthy of how they butcher like a slide in six-point font of all this data. Data, to your point, is definitely a skill that all leaders should have, but even the frontline team members should understand that data to a certain degree because that's what they're being measured against. And the ability to know your numbers and to your point, defend the numbers is really important when you're having those key decisions and those key conversations about strategy and how to achieve the goals that a company is trying to go after. And so that data acumen is really important. It's not that you need to be a full data scientist, but you do need to understand the key metrics and understanding some of those core business measurements like customer acquisition cost or your burn rate 
or any of these things that a lot of organizations need to keep their eyes on is going to be critical to your to your place as a leader and your ability to evaluate the data and find the trends in there just looking at it versus having someone else tell you about it. If you can digest what's happening in a report, you can either find the holes in it and what's not being tracked and or you can help guide the conversation to fix or resolve any issues that may be within that data. So that data acumen is really important, not just from an executive level, but at every level of an organization. And I'm reminded of, uh, uh, we recently held our annual Relationship Economics Summit. And I love uh, Jeff Huckabee, who is uh, CEO of Versalytics on day two, you know, got this group of senior executives to stand up and come close to the screen and, and he puts up an entire slide of just a bunch of numbers and everybody's looking at it and, and he's at a very simple question. What do you see? What, what do you get from this? And your ability to quickly look at that data and make sense of it becomes invaluable, again, regardless of where you are in, in the organization. So we're talking about eight foundational skills that every professional we believe needs to master. Number one was writing proficiency, two, kind of public speaking, Three is data analysis. Here's the fourth one, critical thinking and problem solving. There are no new problems. There are no new challenges. There are no new obstacles. The only new challenges are the ones you haven't seen or heard of yet. So A, and we'll talk about this, I believe there's enormous value in relationships as thought partners, as problem solvers. By the same token, your ability to think Make time, set a time aside to think, discern my options, critically evaluate different options, optionality, really solve that problem. Not, not, not just get overwhelmed by a series of problems, but break them down one at a time. I'm, I'm reminded of Matt Damon's character in the movie Martian. And at the end of the movie, you know, he's a professor and he's teaching a class and he says, yeah, I, you think you're going to die when you're abandoned on a foreign planet. Um, but you you start to take problems and one at a time. How am I going to eat? How am I going to survive? How am I going to communicate? How, and you solve one problem at a time. And as, as Jen mentioned, you don't have to be a data scientist just like this. You don't need a PhD in astrophysics, but you do need the ability to think. And, and developing that skill, your ability for critical thinking and problem solving, again, will set you apart from your peers and from others who are not investing in themselves in this arena. Well, and to your point, uh, problem solving a lot of times also comes down to prioritization of how you're going to tackle the problem. So you, you see what the problem is, but then how are we going to solve it? Because in, in Matt Damon's case, it, he needed to eat to be able to continue to solve the other problems. But if he was trying to find a way home and he wasn't paying attention to his food source or his water source, he's going to run out of that before he's ever going to find a solution to get himself home. And so prioritization of the next steps is also very key in your critical thinking and your problem solving capabilities. And if, if you want a teaser, uh, check out Avnir's uh, LinkedIn page for the next post in the 10 pillars of success we've come up with. So the first one was wit, whatever it takes. The next one is OPF. OPF, check out the Avnir site 
and you're going to get some good nuggets on, on exactly what Jen alluded to. So back to the eight foundational skills, one, writing proficiency, two, public speaking, three, data analysis, four, critical thinking slash problem solving, five, one that, that I used to have a lot more hair for our audience, full disclosure, a lot more hair. They're leaving at an accelerated pace because I feel like there are a lot of people in my life who don't do this one, which is attention to details. Attention to details allows you to cross the T's and dot the I's. Attention to details, you're less likely to be surprised if you pay attention to details. You're less likely to send out that email or text that has a typo in it. You're less likely to misspeak or uh, say something that you're going to regret later. Attention to details. Uh, I don't know about you. I am right now getting bombarded by basically, you know, unsolicited spam emails and it just screams. They know nothing about me. And yet the email says, having studied the NOR group, which we left like two weeks ago, and analyzing your products and services, we really know you and we think we can help your products. And you lost me at hello because you haven't paid attention to details. The details matter. You've heard the old adage, the devil is in the details. So I know we're all pulled in a lot of different directions, but when you pay attention to details, it sets you apart from your peers. And that is a critical skill. That's the aperture on the lens that is, and, and, I, and, and you may chuckle at this, Jen. When, when the kids were little, we'd play this game of as you walk into a restaurant or as you walk okay. into, what did you notice at the entrance? And the game was how many things and the details could they name from the plant and the desk and the painting and the, what color was. And, and what I was trying to do is sharpen their situational awareness, their ability to really see what's around them. And that attention to detail matters in our relationships, that attention to detail matters in our work, that attention to detail matters in our data analysis and what we present and what we convince others to believe in and back and support and uh, and that attention to detail becomes second to none thoughts on both the 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 the, the think critical thinking but also attention to details to your point the devil is in the details and it does set you apart and more and more we're getting bombarded with messages and the ai is writing a lot of it but because we're not taking the time to go back and maybe check some of the workflows or check anything that was written, we're just trusting that the system has it right, which it, it's still learning. All, all workflows have, have to be checked. And I mean, just recently also, I had a prospect, a prospecting person reach out. We started using a, reusing a tool that we've used in the past. And this BDR for that company reached out without even taking a look on my LinkedIn to know that I used to do work for the company that we're now using. And he wanted to answer questions for me. And, and he was flabbergasted that uh, I responded to him that I had no questions and that I'm very familiar with the product. And it was just, he was kind of shocked at it. And it's like, well, had you taken the time to look two minutes at my profile on LinkedIn that you sent the message on, you would have noticed and maybe you would have come up with a more clever relationship on ramp 
to have that conversation and be actually useful and provide value to me. And so that attention to details allows you to have those more candid value-based conversations instead of just bombarding someone with a message that may interrupt their day or maybe just spam and add to that noise. So for, uh, for our audience, if you just joined us, we're talking about eight foundational skills uh, to master, and this increasingly becomes more valuable for, for all of us to remain relevant. One, writing proficiency. Two, public speaking. Three, data analysis. Four, critical thinking slash uh, problem solving. Five, attention to details. The next one, again, it's not going to come to a shock to anybody who's been in business for more than five minutes. Clear, concise communication. The, our ability to communicate, our ability to, in a succinct manner, articulate, uh, regardless of the media. So if if you believe in death by PowerPoint, God bless you. If you're trying to, you know, verbally uh, or increasingly because we're not physically together remotely, you're going to have to be even that much more concise because, and Jen's heard me talk about this. If you go on a tangent, if you lose me at hello, if, if I have to waste a lot of uh, calories thinking about where you're going and where we're going with this and what are you trying to ask, I'm going to disengage. I, I, I'm thinking about my grocery list or the honeydew list or all the other things I've got to do and I'm not here in the moment. So a tip that someone else gave me years ago that I that I use and I, and I coach people to think about is if you have $100 – Use 10 $10 words, not $101 words. So there's enormous value in brevity. There's enormous value in get to the point. Nobody, maybe maybe family members at a, at a picnic, needs to know about your third grade teacher. So all that background information does not matter. And, and I promise you, if people want to know more, they'll ask. So the more clear, the more concise your communication is, verbal, written, we, we deeply believe in. You can see over my shoulder, visual. Jen's got one right behind her as well. Visual storytelling, where the picture can say more than words ever can, becomes invaluable. Uh, next, I talk about NXT, next level, next up leadership. I think most, most leaders agree the way we lead today, the way we need to lead today has fundamentally changed and evolved in many ways. And if you're not keeping your leadership skills, and by the way, this has nothing to do with a title. This has nothing to do with some org structure or boxes of where you are in the company. This has everything to do with the way you show up. If you're not elevating your leadership skills, if you're not really thinking about the evolution of your leadership skills, you, you're going to struggle to remain relevant because that authoritarian, I, I grew up with bosses that intimidated. I grew up with bosses that were hard asses. I grew up with bosses that were demanding. I grew up with bosses that were unreasonable, but you know what? We sucked it up and we did the work because that was back then. I and I don't quite agree with this, but I recently read an article that said 85% of workplaces are toxic. Is yours one of them? So as, as you read, you, you start to think this, this person is, is, is very easily offended or, or this person is very sensitive. And, and 
you know, huge credit to Amy Edinson at Harvard Business School. Psychological safety wasn't a thing when when I grew up or we were working and 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 really creating you know that environment where everybody's voices were heard was not a thing back then. You shut the hell up and you do what you were told. And and that that has evolved in organization. So as a leader, you need to think very differently about how do I get the best out of my people? How do I still demand and be hard on performance, but certainly more empathetic, softer on people? How do I really understand that uh, you know paternal uh, obligations are as critical as the maternal ones when there's a new you know child in the family and not every family looks like mine or not every family functions like mine so so your leadership in often difficult situations and conversations and environments has to evolve that's where NXT leadership is all about that next level that that next phase in your leadership development journey Last but not least, and again, we're talking about eight foundational skills to master, is really collaboration and teamwork. I've always said collaboration for sake of collaboration is a waste of time. Let's get together so we can discuss a meeting of a meeting that's coming up for a meeting. No, thank you. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't need any more meetings in my life. What I need is how do we make that end result better, faster, hopefully less expensive? How do we de-risk? That, that end result, those are all things that are valuable in that collaboration. Regarding teamwork, there's a lot out there about how to be a team leader. And I, I believe in that, and that's invaluable. I'm an old Eagle Scout. My son's an Eagle Scout. We deeply believe in leadership and leading a team. You know what nobody talks about, or I certainly haven't seen? How to be a great team player. How do I contribute to such that that team is better off because I'm on it, because I contribute a unique lens, a unique perspective, better questions, different questions than just being a team leader. So as you think about collaboration, that, that leadership, there's only few of those. And that's a, that's a pretty hot, you know, pretty expensive real estate to kind of lead that initiative. So how do I become a great teammate, a great team contributor to that collaboration? Jen, let me pause and, and ask you to jump in anything you've heard. Well, on the NXT leadership, I would say that it also, it's not necessarily, we have to change our lens on what that leadership means. To your point, it's not necessarily your title or where you fit in org structure. It's also how you show up for your team members. And this kind of goes along with the teamwork and, and being a valuable team player is when you have knowledge and somebody else can benefit from that knowledge, it's share that knowledge because it it does you good, but it doesn't actually help them. And rising tides uh, raise all ships. And if you make them better, then you as a collective will also be better. And I recently heard a quote that if you're not investing in others, you're just spending time. And so how you invest in others by sharing your knowledge, everybody is knowledgeable in something. And so you sharing yours with another person and they'll, they'll reciprocate or they now know something more than they did before. In fly fishing, we do this a lot. People have imposter syndrome and so they don't want to teach. But to a newbie, somebody who's been fly fishing like you for the last year, year and a half, 
you know more about reading the water or tying knots or what flies may work than a brand new person. And so you are just as qualified as me, who I've been fly fishing since I was seven, in teaching that person how to get comfortable on the water. And you don't know everything, but you'll help them figure it out and get them started. And they will now know more because you shared your little bit of knowledge. And so when you take that to the workplace, for example, I know a ton of technologies and have been doing the digital transformation and the, and the RevOps work for the last 17 years. There are tips and tricks that I have picked up because I've played with these tools over the years that will help somebody else's learning curve of adopting or being the admin of that tool shorten because I've showed them a tip or a trick or shared something I picked up along the way. If you hold and all that knowledge hostage, it's not going to make anybody else better. And so that leadership and how you show up and how you be a valuable team player really is important regardless of where you fit within an organization. We've got some, uh, I, I neglect to mention, we're live on Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube and, and Twitter and We've got a, a couple of great uh, comments. So a LinkedIn user, and I apologize, it's not showing your name. You want to make sure you follow Avnir where we post this. But love it. Great point on how to be a great team player. Thank you for that. And uh, yeah, again, a lot of people talk about team leadership, not as much about uh, uh, team kind of team player. Uh, another LinkedIn user, again, make sure you're following Avnir. And that way your name will show up when, when we post these things. Where does the team get the best of you as a team member? Uh, does the team get to experience your superpowers to help the group accomplish an even a bigger goal? Yeah, I. I um, so number one, thanks for jumping in, uh, Jen. Let me let me answer this, and I'd welcome your comments. Uh, the team gets the best of you as a team member. I would submit in three very specific areas. One, everybody's crystal clear on the outcomes and the impact we're after not just their output. Let me say it again. You get the best, and I'm going to just use myself. You get the best of me as a team member when I'm crystal clear on the outcomes and the impact of what we're doing, not just my individual output. So the report I generate is important, and that's critical to the success of the team. But if I understand that the real outcome of that report are the insights from it, and the impact in the business is the decisions we make based on the insights from my report. You better believe I'm going to work my tail off to make sure my report is the best and most accurate that it can be. I'm going to double check it. I'm going to run the numbers. I'm going to run the scenario several times because I know the insights and the decisions, the outcome and the impact from that report is what collectively the team is counting on. And I am no way in hell I'm going to let the team down. So number one, crystal clear on outcomes and impact. Number two, if I suck at generating reports, you're not going to get the best of me. So we've all heard, do we have the right people on the bus? I take that three steps further. Do you have the right people on the bus in the right seats with the right priorities and the resources to do what you're asking them to do? So if you want the best version of me on the team, make sure what you ask of me is within my capabilities, competencies, and by the way, something that lights me up. David, we need you to set aside eight hours today to do expense reports. No, thank you. Right? That's just not where I'm going to light up and say, put me in, coach. I'm ready to go. 
So crystal clear on the outcome and impact to ensure it's within my capability, competency, and something that lights me up. Three, I can't see, none of us can, five years from now. I believe success is achieved in incremental stages. What's that next sprint? I've learned this from Jen. We're building our technology in two-week sprints. I can't think about eight months from now or a year from now. I, we're thinking about the next sprint. How can we get these things done in the next two weeks? So if there's a timeline that I have a line of sight to and I can aim for that, I can sprint from here to that next mailbox. No way in hell I can sprint from here to the next town. And I'm baffled by how often leaders, any kind of team leaders ask, when we accomplish this SpaceX Falcon Heavy launch, oh my God, that just becomes so overwhelming that I can't, I can't see that. So show me a line of sight of where that next celebratory milestone is, and I will sprint like hell to it. That's how you get the best version of me. Jen, anything to add? I would expand on your second point or your last point there about being able to sprint and working iteratively in, in small incremental steps. That is absolutely critical. The other part to that, I would, I would say, is having a crystal clear vision of where you're going. And, and so like when we were in the space race and we were going to put a man on the moon, the, the, the vision that was painted was we are putting a man on the moon in the next 10 years. Everything that then happened in the next 10 years was to achieve that goal of putting a man on the moon. And so, yes, it's absolutely critical to focus on, the, for example, ours with this digital platform. We're focused on getting the, the features and functionality for the next two weeks and the MVP. And there's crystal clear framework of what we're trying to achieve in the short term. But we also have discussed the vision and where this is going in that macro in six months, a year, two years, where are we wanting to be? And we've worked our way backwards. So that that's also very critical, having the macro as well as the micro focus. The other piece that I would say is how to be the best team player is having what I call short toes. And it means don't let your ego get in the way of progress. If somebody else is better at something or has deeper insights or they get to be the leader for a specific project and you really wanted that, still show up and give your best and don't be offended by maybe somebody challenging how you're doing something or throwing out a different idea and their idea was taken. So having short toes allows you to collaborate very easily and it keeps the focus on the work versus putting your ego into any situation. Yeah. So thank you, uh, LinkedIn users. And again, apologies. It says LinkedIn user. If you uh, look up a linkedin.com slash company slash official Avnir, official Avnir and follow us there. Uh, your your profile will show up, but I would encourage others, if you are watching us live, please, please jump in. We'd love to have your comments. If you did join us late, uh, Jen Kors and I are talking about skills gap, what you need to unlearn, relearn to remain relevant in this fast-paced environment from processes to tech advancements that we're all facing. Jen, on that note, and we just covered uh, the eight foundational skills that every professional really needs to embrace. Let's talk about, I want to do a, a quick uh, back and forth on, I think you and I came up with a set of uh, lists. And by the way, 
for our audience, we'll also put uh, the notes from this session in our private online community. So uh, avnir.com, I think, slash forum. Avnir.com slash forum is our online community. Uh, so make sure you jump us, uh, join us there, and you can jump into this, this session right afterwards, and we'll, we'll post this. But Jen, I want to go back and forth. You've been thinking a great deal about how to unlearn some of the same skills we've been talking about, not just this year, but but moving forward to remain relevant. Let's take a one at a time. You talk about you got to unlearn hierarchical thinking and relearn kind of collaborative teamwork. We talked a little about that. Talk about kind of the challenges of hierarchical thinking. With that, a lot of people rely on the org structure to make decisions and more and more organizations are moving towards a flat organizational structure where different people are taking the lead on specific projects. And yes, there are still maybe directors or VPs that are leading the overall strategy, but then they're delegating that work down. And so not relying on somebody to tell you what to do. And it allows you to actually take ownership. That collaborative teamwork takes ownership of your work and you get to show up. And if you have a crystal clear understanding of what the outcome that you're trying to achieve is, and there there isn't somebody dictating on how you get there, then you're able to, to really get creative and scrappy with your solutions and bring the best idea to the table versus just implementing the one idea that maybe the one leader has. And it couldn't, it may not be the best solution. So allowing others to contribute to the conversation will allow you to come up with the best solution for the problem versus just coming up with a solution. One of my favorite stories in this is uh, I had a chance to meet Alan Mulally of the the Boeing and, and Ford CEO fame. And and I love his stories of when, when he arrived at Ford, you know, the leadership team had been used to this, for lack of a better word, a lot of, lot of old school thinking is this, you know, knight in shining armor, the know-it-all oracle as the CEO. And, 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 and they would come up to him and ask him about things that he genuinely didn't know. And he would say, and, and Alan's got such a, such an incredible, you know, sense of humility about it, incredibly intelligent and, obviously very competent and capable. He's got this incredible sense of humility about him. And he would say, I don't know, but let's go find somebody who does. And they're much more likely to give you the answers. And, and by the way, I'll learn also in the process. And I think that's an example of that NXT leadership we talked about of you don't, the days of any of us having all the answers are long gone. How do we collaboratively learn? And, and in the process of unlearning is I don't have all the answers. Let's go find others who do is the real opportunity. Absolutely. So we've we've also been doing this uh, internally at, at Avnir and previously when we were, we were at Nor Group. But long-term planning, we need to unlearn long-term planning as the only strategy and relearn agile and adaptability. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I, I love I love that we're 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 also you know we're poster children of of you know, going through this evolution. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, the, the pandemic proved to every leader that you're kidding yourself when you do five and 10 year planning. Hell, you know, I, I, I was coming back from our kids, you know, spring break in Cancun and, and the airports are shutting down. And, and, you know, I'm thinking there's no way I'm going to get on. And I had a speaking engagement the next month 
and and you know site visits for consulting engagement the month after and all of that shut down and most of us had to figure out how to work very differently so your ability and if you think about companies who had a very high resilient quotient and didn't just survive but thrived during the pandemic and have continued that kind of evolution they were incredibly agile they were incredibly adaptable and you and I see, and by the way, this tone is unequivocally set from the top. So what does the CEO, what does the leadership team needs to unlearn about long range strategic planning as the only strategy and relearn agility, sprints, maybe not run the company with two week sprints, but, but certainly what does that shorter version look like? How do we how do we sprint to that next milestone? Learn, you know, relearn, unlearn, apply what we learn to the very next six months, the next year, the next eighteen months. But these short term sprints become invaluable, which leads to the next one. You got to unlearn being a specialist in only one area, and relearn what's often referred to as T shaped or deep generalist where you have deep expertise in one area, but much broader knowledge, in essence, deep generalists in a lot of different areas? I would say that most organizations, every team member is wearing a lot of different hats. And so being good at just the one thing, you're the reports guy, isn't going to be a long-term career uh plan for anybody anymore. You need to not only know the, the reports, but also be able to glean the insights and provide some strategic value. And so understanding other parts of the business that you're pulling that report on is going to be critical and how they do what they do and what the products that you sell solve can help that person who generates the reports really provide value to the rest of the organization. And, and that expertise can get shared more broadly. And so having a core focus of who you are and what you do, for example, I had a, a digital marketer. She was phenomenal at the Google AdWords and the analytics, and she could set up Google Tag Manager in, in her sleep. But she understood what all the other pieces that contributed to that function did and how it impacted her and the ripple effects when she made a change, what would it do to maybe the campaigns or the email marketing platform? And she could understand and help those other people on the team understand what was changing in their worlds and make the adjustments that were necessary to keep the business moving forward. So she had that generalist knowledge. She may not have been able to tactically do it, but she was able to explain and, and help them understand what needed to be done to make sure that both sides continued to work seamlessly together. And so it's just, it's a really important thing to look outside your space and get an understanding of other areas of the business that maybe you're adjacent to or your world impacts. And so you can then be a better team player when it comes to the broader organization. Great, great point. Uh, for our audience, if you just joined us, we're talking about really skills gap. How do you unlearn and relearn to remain relevant? We covered eight foundational skills and Jen and I just doing a, a yin and a yang on kind of skills that most people believe they have that we believe you need to unlearn 
and relearn them a little differently. So next on the list was unlearning knowledge hoarding, and we need to relearn sharing and that open collaboration. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I grew up again, old school where, uh, you know, people felt like the knowledge they had, you know, the skills they had, their know-how was in essence their IP and it was their value. And I'm not showing you how to do that because if if I'm the only one in the office that knows how to do that, I'll, I'll have a job here forever. And 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 again, it's, uh, those days are gone. So the more you share, the more you openly collaborate, the more not not be the the know it all, but but really contribute to. And and you've heard me say this. I've long believed if you want to convey your credibility, do it through the questions you ask, not just the solutions you bring. So whenever you're in a team. Uh, and you you think through um, a a lens that maybe others haven't thought of. If you simply ask a question about that, if you don't bring the baggage, if you haven't been in this business since you know 1910, you know me and Jesus were both in this job at the same time. If you don't bring that baggage, you can look at that scenario with a different lens and simply ask. And, and I've said this before. I've used new. I'm new in this company for like five years. Right? I'm sorry. I'm still new here. How do you guys do this? Or why are we doing this? Or how do we expect a different result from that? And, and and not just to be flip about it, but if you get people to think differently, it's amazing how that collaboration improves the outcome. So again, unlearn knowledge hoarding, information hoarding, and really relearn sharing and open collaboration, which moves us to the next one. Manual and repetitive task mastery. I'm just going to do the same thing manually over and over again. You're a huge fan of this. Automation and AI integration. Yes, absolutely. With AI, a lot of people are concerned that it's going to take jobs or replace them. And in reality, it won't. There always will need to be some level of human component. But where AI really can elevate a business is through the workflows. Look at the workflows and look where you're spending unnecessary amount of time. Data entry for sales reps when they should be on the phone selling or manually moving a spreadsheet from one system to another. If you can automate some of that in an intelligent way, you're saving time and allowing those people who have been focused on those manual tasks to now spend their time on higher critical thinking items or something that provides more value to the company because they're not in that minutia on the day to day. And so it, it really is just take one process and find the highest friction points and see, can we automate this? Can we make this simpler? And it may require a little bit of retooling, but in the end, it'll make the company faster. So think of it as maybe taking a step back to take three steps forward. Um, and really just work at the, look at the workflows. Don't try and boil the ocean, choose one and then choose the next one, which then leads us to our next topic or our next skill to unlearn would be single task focus. We need to unlearn that and we need to relearn the multitasking and prioritization. Uh, and this is something you and I, David, have talked about quite a bit. So can you share with the audience? Yeah, there, there's uh, if you think there's not enough hours in the day and there's way too many demands of you now, you just wait. <laughs> so so I often talk about, you know, you keep get in your mind this this 
you know, you're spinning seven plates, realizing you can't drop any of them. So I, I, I'm a big believer of, of organize, kind of prioritize and, and focus by the same token. You know, some things are going to take time. So, you know, if you have dead time throughout the day, what can I do? How can I move another initiative forward, make progress on another project? So I believe in focus time blocks and really time blocking kind of what I focus on, what I work on, what I do next. How do I commit to moving key ideas forward? And it's really important to, um, you know, think about what you've got on your plate. And, and, and my job here is not to flex, but for our audience, Jen Quartz has recently taught me GitLab and I'm learning about how to, you know, navigate my way through GitLab. And by the way, incredibly powerful platform. And now I can see why the company was so successful in really, you know, logging the issues and, and really, you know, creating priorities and different views and milestones and tracking, you know, the tasks underneath these checklists. And so, the ability to have those seven plates spinning, none of us can do that in our heads. So however quickly you can get a system, build a system, use a system, get trained on a system, utilize the system consistently, it's really going to help you move from a single task, which is typically what we've done, to multitask, prioritize, what's that next sprint, how do I deliver value quickly, really amplifying that sense of urgency to get there, get there quickly, get there with a unique value add and make sure these initiatives move forward. Moving that, that lends really nicely to its, to the next one, single career mindset. And you need to relearn lifelong learning and career fluidity. Yes. Uh, the days of having working for the same company for 20, 30 years, I don't want to say gone, but are pretty much gone there. I do know some executives that have been at some of the very large uh, manufacturing companies for a couple decades, but they're, they're, a, a, I don't want to say a dying generation, but they kind of are. And the job hopping, if you will, has become more normal, normalized in today's society. At the same time, the lifelong learning of, you have a skill, maybe you went to school for creative writing. And so you become a content writer, but then there's some elements of content writing that you're really interested in. And so you, you move into that area and specialize for a little while. And then there's another project or a task that comes up that allows you to expand your skills. And now you're maybe moving into videography and doing podcasts and strategy for those. And then somebody else brings up a project and maybe it's now executive writing. And so you're ghost writing for executives on their LinkedIn and their thought leadership. And all of this, it allows you to be very fluid in what you're doing. But back to a previous point that you stay true to what it is you like doing and what lights you up. And it just allows you to continue to elevate and expand your skills and that curiosity about how else could we do this or what else could I do to provide value is something that becomes really integral to this lifelong journey that you're on. And that career fluidity is just being open to the possibility of maybe doing what you're doing in another way or at another organization, or maybe it's another industry and just using your transferable skills to really 
broaden your horizons and and your career prospects. The, the best, uh, just to quickly build on that, the best uh, analogy I've heard is think of a career lattice, not a career ladder. So our parents did this, right? That, you know, it, like, when you were talking about staying in some company for decades, and I was thinking getting a pen, like a lapel pen or a watch or a, a writing pen. Like, please, I really do think those days are gone. By the same token, I also don't believe in this constant every six, eight, nine months job hopping for the next, you know, bigger paycheck or bigger, you know, title, whatever. Go somewhere, stay for at least a couple of years to learn and grow through that process. There's nothing wrong with that loyalty. Just just understand that your, your learning, your growth needs to evolve. So if you think of a lattice and sometimes you'll go laterally. But you know what? You'll be in a bigger growth opportunity or you'll be in a different learning opportunity, which, by the way, puts the onerous on leaders and companies that the only loyalty you should expect is, can I, am I constantly creating an environment where that individual, that talent feels like they're learning, they're growing and they're contributing? If they're not learning, growing and contributing, you're not giving them a reason to stay. By the way, this also could also apply. Those of you who are struggling with getting people back in the office, why would I do that if I'm comfortable and really productive in a home environment? Can I learn? Can I grow? Can I contribute? If I come back, if you give me a reason to come back in person other than a, a mandate, then it becomes really helpful, really useful in bringing me back and getting me back to the office, which leads nicely to the next one. And we're in the home stretch here. Uh, static leadership styles. We talked about a little about this in the NXT versus uh, a really adaptive, empathetic leadership. Yes, the static leadership styles, uh, the command and control, really again is is a dying practice, and the the newer generations, and I don't want to just say the millennials, but the newer generations are being very open to different leadership styles and they they come to the workplace expecting a different environment they're expecting collaboration they're expecting to be heard and allowed to voice their opinions and i realize most organizations will won't bow to the expectations of their their employees but at the same time meeting kind of in that middle ground of having the the ability to have open dialogue and conversation and challenging the ideas and asking questions is going to be really important to the growth of your organization and the the value that your team members feel and so if they can come and maybe challenge the status quo or we've always done it this way allow new ideas to come in and and maybe you try it or you create a, a culture of innovation and allow people to try small things that don't cost a lot and it's not taking focus away from what you're trying to achieve, but it allows them to experiment and be heard and try different things. It'll really come into play as they grow in their career. And then it also allows you to expand your own skills as a leader to maybe think differently about a project or about how you achieve a certain outcome. And you'll, by being flexible in your leadership style, it'll allow you to get the best from your people. And there are going to be some of those people 
on your team that need that command and control. Just tell them what to do and they'll get it done. There will be others that need to have that creativity and that flexibility to allow them to explore and grow, but be crystal clear on the outcome that you're wanting from them as well. And so by having that flexibility and that mix of people, you're really going to have a really robust team, which then brings us to our next topic of unlearning the traditional work hours and spaces and relearning how to be effective with flexibility and the remote work capabilities that uh, a lot of us have experienced in the last few years. So Nora, yeah. what are your thoughts? Yeah, in, in the last book, uh, I think Relationship Economics, I wrote about WFX, working from X, where X is everywhere, working, you know, X marks the spot. And and most of us are knowledge workers. Most of us, you know, give me a laptop with internet access, and I really could work from anywhere. So so the days of that, and, I, and that, that was a stiff kind of leadership, but also stiff work environments. I, I, I grew up the company will go on name, but we had to wear white shirts and red ties and gray or blue suits. And that was the uniform every day. And you wanted to be first in and last out. Those days are gone. Increasingly, and, and as we interview, it's it's funny. People are asking, well, do you have, you know, do you have hours? Do you have what you expect? Yeah, get your work done. Right. So, so uh, I, I think increasingly, you know, thinking about where you work, the definition of work. They, they, how do I align, you know, my talents with value creation? And again, focus on not just that output. My output's important, but the outcome and impact that I create will be far more quantifiable and valuable to who gives a flying leap about the report. The reports is critical is only in the steps of the insights and the actions we take from those insights. So really understanding that the flexibility, the environment, the work location, the capabilities that I that I incorporate to create value, value creation, value enabling. Those are the only two jobs. Right now, full disclosure, in our company, we're adding two types of people, those who can sell it, those who can make it. And as I interview with BDRs, I'm like, unless you have Python skills and you can contribute to Gen and team, I, you know, I need you to sell. I need you to market. I need you to sell. I need you to be part of our go-to-market strategy. And, and that, in essence, says be flexible, be remote, which takes the discipline not to get distracted, not to waste time. Uh, Jen can attest. We, we talk about this daily. Every hour matters. Of, of When you're trying to build technology, you can't afford to waste any of it. So really amplifying the value that you bring on a on an hourly basis to to the team to the organization goes a long way. Last but not least, we left the best one for you: <laughs> unlearning resistance to technology, relearning digital literacy and comfort with net new tools, many of which we've never seen before. We don't know anything about. Yes, uh, the resistance te to technology is real. Uh, and I, I understand it. I have been around uh, digital technologies my entire life. And I was, I, I'm gonna date myself, but I was the generation that we started having computers in the household. And I had internet in my house when I was in elementary school, but I didn't start with it. I started with books and toys and everything else, but the, the digitization of things did happen in my, in my uh, upbringing. And that curiosity for me, it was it was something that sparked my interest. 
And it's always been, oh, what is that? What does it do? How can how can I make it better or different or or how can I incorporate it? And so it's that curiosity for me that has led me to my career. But for most people, it is, no, I know how to do this. A spreadsheet works. We're just going to stick to that. And we're not we're not going to change. We're not going to do anything different. The technology landscape has expanded and exploded over the last few years. Uh, when I started my career, there was maybe a thousand different marketing technologies. Now there's just over 10,000 marketing technologies, and that's not even touching the sales and customer success technologies. So being curious about what's happening in the world, keeping your finger on the pulse of new developments in technology is going to be really critical to all leaders and all team members at any level of an organization. And finding ways to get comfortable with that new technology, maybe take out a trial. For example, we've leveraged Miro and Figma here internally, and a couple of the team members had never used either one. And so it's finding someone within the organization that is somewhat of an expert and will share their knowledge with uh, that the new team members who maybe haven't experienced the technology. And helping them become comfortable, creating maybe a forum where you show tips or tricks. If, if you are a larger organization and you have a designated operations team, have them do office hours or focus on one tool every week. And here is one thing that you should know about Salesforce, for example, and teach everyone that one thing and have a Slack channel or a Teams channel that people can openly ask questions and then your ops teams answer them. And so it's really just being ambient aware of what's happening in the world. AI is becoming very prolific. It's getting baked into literally every tool that we have. And if you're watching our live stream today, a couple of times you may have noticed David had a, a thumbs up that popped up on his screen, that's something that Zoom has actually integrated. And occasionally it works, occasionally it doesn't work and it freezes other technologies, but just kind of be aware of what's happening in your space for one, but then be aware of what other tools are out there and maybe they can help you do something more efficiently or be more productive and just keep track of your business and help your team grow in a more efficient manner. And so it's just, it's that, curiosity that everybody needs to adopt related to tools. And again, another LinkedIn user, uh, if you follow Avnir or, or my LinkedIn, you'll, you'll, we'll see your name here, but thanks for jumping in. The reverse mentorship from GE Walsh days also gets a refresh with Gen Z and younger millennials engage the younger generations. Absolutely. It becomes invaluable in so many ways. So, so for our audience, again, if you joined us late, we've been talking about skills gap on learning and relearning to remain relevant. As a reminder, uh, I shared uh, this This uh, graph really served well in the last book, Curve Vendors, that I wrote that talked about a foundational ring set of skills and capabilities, set of value accelerants, and then really growth enablers. And I called this your personal market value. And, and this is a really good time to assess yourself, kind of where you are with your skills, where you're going, and how do you stay rem, uh, remain relevant? Uh, just as a FYI, in our next several sessions, Scott Edinger is a good friend. He's got a book called Growth Leader. He'll be our guest for an upcoming episode. Jen and I are going to talk about customer obsession. It's more than just customer centricity. It really is and more than satisfaction. It really is a commitment to a different level of service. 
And then when your rev up strategy goes off course. So we are live each Tuesday at uh, noon Eastern. Hope you'll continue to join us on our various channels. Uh, Avnir.com is where we're embracing power users and uh, design partners to join us. And then uh, our forum, our online forum, is where we'll post this list that we've captured today between the foundational skills and uh, skills you need to unlearn and relearn. So on behalf of Jen Cords, I'm David Noor. Thanks for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Intelligent Growth Podcast. Over the years, Jen and Noor have had the privilege of advising senior leaders and their teams on their go-to market strategies, creating world-class processes and capabilities, and integrating complex tech stacks. Now, it's their passion to share marketing, sales, and customer success insights and strategies that will help you transform your go-to market success. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For more, visit the website at avnir.com. See you next time on the Intelligent Growth Podcast.